2016 podcast. And now, your host, Ellis Tolbert. What's up, folks? Welcome to the 4th and 16th podcast. I'm your host, Ellis Tolbert. Hopefully you guys are having a fantastic night. I know you're feeling all giddy and excited if you're an LSU Bengal fan or a Clemson Tiger fan, uh, and you're really upset and angry if you're an Ohio State fan, and you're really embarrassed and dejected if you're an Oklahoma fan. Uh, of course, our Clemson Tigers did defeat the Ohio State Buckeyes in the Fiesta Bowl 29-23 in a game that was exhilarating, but it was largely dominated by the Ohio State Buckeyes for a good portion of the game. We're going to talk a little bit about that now that I've had a chance to sleep it off. This is going to be like a little bit of a recap for that game. I'm also going to dive a little bit into the LSU-Oklahoma game or massacre, whatever you have with that. <laughs> but then I'm also going to give you guys a quick preview about the Clemson-LSU game uh, coming forward. I'm also going to have a game plan for that one. But uh, folks, uh, just super excited. What I saw was the heart of a champion. Uh, you know, I, I, I tweeted this, and I firmly believe it. I think the beginning of this run started on that interception by Trace Willing for the Georgia Tech uh, Yellow Jackets when he intercepted Trevor Lawrence. And it looked like it was going to be for sure pick six. When Trevor Lawrence ran him down and made sure to save the play, the defense turned it around, got a stop, turnover, and, you know, that to me, signifies the heart of a champion. Right there, I knew what kind of team we had. Now, I didn't know how much we were going to get tested all season. I know a lot of people talk about the schedule, and rightfully so. We'll get into that a little bit further uh, down on the second segment. But, you know, I felt like right there showed what kind of fight, what kind of will this team had. And, you know, you know, really hadn't been tested that much. North Carolina was a test, but I don't think we ever really felt like we were going to lose to North Carolina. But this game really had that feeling like, oh, man, this is about to be bad. And especially after watching what the Bengals did to uh, Oklahoma Sooners, it just looked really bad. And by the way, if you're wondering why I'm calling uh, LSU the LSU Bengals is because they do not earn the Tiger moniker yet until they beat us. Then they can I, I will give them the, the LSU Tiger moniker before then they're going to be the Bengals when I refer to them. Uh, we are the real Death Valley, all that good stuff. Fourth and 16 rematch is going to be awesome. I'm super excited about that. Uh, but anyway, again, this game kind of felt like it was going to get out of hand early. At the same time, for me, knowing Clemson football and knowing what kind of team we had, knowing the talent that we had, knowing the coaching staff that we had, even when it looked the worst. Clemson was still able to keep Ohio State to field goals. That was a very important part about it because if you don't keep Ohio State to field goals, they could get out early, early to a 24-0 lead. That would be much more insurmountable, in my opinion, than a 13-0 lead, than a 16-0 lead. Because, you know, what I'm finding out now, and I, I, I had a pretty good feel of that Ohio State team, they are legitimately... <laughs> the number one or two team in the country. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens when it comes to the game against uh, LSU. But again, Ohio State was probably the best team we've seen in the playoffs so far. And, and that's even over Alabama, uh, you know, two years ago. That's over Alabama 15, whatever you want. I truly believe that this Ohio State team was really that good because they were they were really good in every phase of the game. You're talking about all Americans in their secondary. I talked about that. Jeffrey Okuda was going to be a tough out for anybody because he's going to be a top five, top ten pick in the NFL. You got Damon Arnett stepping up because he knew that they were going to pick on him. Jordan Fuller, another guy that skipped the NFL the year before. 
could definitely go right now in the top 10, but also could have went top 10 last year. It's just one of those things. They had a lot of great players. And again, we saw how dominant their defensive line was. I talked about this in the uh, preview in the game plan for Ohio State. I talked about how Chase Young is the guy, but they have so many other guys. Tyreek Smith, Landers. They had so many guys stepping up for them in this game that it wasn't even funny. Uh, and then offensively, we know what they have now. And I have to give credit to Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is much better than what people think. I think he made a terrible choice to go to Georgia. I think they misused him. It was just a bad decision decision in the first place. It's also kind of a head scratcher for Kirby Smart. Why would you start a guy like Jake Fromm over Justin Fields? I don't know. But I do know that Justin Fields under Ryan Day is the perfect match. Those guys were a match made in heaven. It was meant to be. And that's why they were playing at the highest level right now. So again, Hats off to Ohio State. Now, I did dislike a lot of the things that they talked about post-game. They were really harping on a lot of the calls that were made in the game, talking about how the refs won the game. They, they were essentially saying that, but at the same time, they also acknowledged a little bit later that they had a chance to win the game. They had two different leads on Clemson, which they could have capitalized. They could have kept going. First and foremost, you could have scored a lot more points on Clemson. You didn't. All you did was settle for three field goals for Blake Holbill. Okay. And then also you had a lot of opportunities. You dropped the touchdown in the in the end zone with uh, J.K. Dobbins. And I know a lot of people look at that and go, hey, no, that ball was wobbling. He did not catch it. He did not complete the catch with uh, you know, he did not control the catch all the way through. So again, no touchdown there. Also, the one that's a little controversial, I know people want to say the most controversial one was the targeting hit with Sean Wade uh, over Trevor Lawrence. I don't think so. I think that was cut and dry. I think the other one where is, you know, the 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 on the field, it was called an incomplete pass. Actually, no, they dropped the little beanbag, which means it was a fumble. Okay. When they went back and looked at it, they said it was an incomplete pass. A lot of people looked at it in slow motion and said, hey, Justin Ross had a couple. He caught the ball, had his hands on it, took a couple steps, and then dropped it. But if you look at it in real time, he really didn't have it longer than about a second. And also, you know, Bill Lamagne, one of the uh, you know guys that were part of the uh, crew uh, calling the game, he's the officiating guru or whatnot, said that he did not make a football move, which means he didn't turn his shoulders and go upfield. He didn't juke. He didn't do anything. He literally just had it in his hands and it fell out. So again, those things are the type of things that Ryan Day was looking at and saying that was you know, part of the game-changing thing, the the inter pass interference on Amir Ripe was 100% uh, valid. Same with the Sean Wade. It didn't matter if he wrapped up or not. He still led uh, with the crown of his helmet. He still made a lot of contact, forcible contact above the head or neck. I mean, above the neck area. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. That was rightfully called, in my opinion. But it depends on what side of the field you root for. If you're an Ohio State fan, you're going to look at this game as, hey, they were given the game. If you're a Clemson fan, you're going to say, you know, uh, you had a chance to win, and these are valid calls. So either way, all the ticky tack things aside, this was a really good football game. This was probably the best semifinal we've had since the inception of the playoffs uh, bar none this is the best semifinal that we've had I know a lot of people talked about the back and forth shootout uh, between Georgia and Oklahoma uh, last season well 2017 season but in my opinion that was just not very good game I thought this game was what you wanted to see the old school game you talk about a guy like Chris Fowler saying you talk about a guy like Reese Davis talking about it saying that this was an old school feel game it was hard hitting loud they were 
were laying the wood for both sides. Both sides gave it all they had. You had an injury on both sides. You know, J.K. Dobbins, I do not feel that he was 100% in this game after he hurt his ankle. I think that really kind of changed the trajectory of how successful they were offensively. But at the same time, they still had a lot of playmakers on an offense. A guy like Olave was making a lot of plays. Uh, he had a couple. He had a touchdown catch for them, uh, which he kind of baited uh, Noah uh, Nolan Turner. But the funny thing is, Nolan Turner actually ended up winning the game for the Clemson Tigers. So, <laughs> you know, it just turns out to be that way. You know, again, heart of the champion. But again, this is probably the best team I've seen Clemson play in a very long time. I know that Alabama in 2016 was a very tough team. I know that Alabama 2018 was a good team, but they didn't. They couldn't capitalize on it. And I know that. Maybe Notre Dame was another tough game, too, as well. But I really think that this was the toughest game that we've played in the last decade. Um, you know, I know that, you know, even Ohio State in the 2014 Orange Bowl was pretty tough. But after that, I think it changed the opinion of Ohio State because they, they were kind of closer to being what they are now then. 2016, they got a little lax. They did not have a vertical passing game. After that win for the Clemson Tigers, the shutout in the Fiesta Bowl, actually, they really changed everything. That was when Kevin Wilson from Indiana was brought over. That was when Ryan Day was brought over to be offensive coordinator to change everything for Urban Meyer. And let's not forget that Urban Meyer has, you know, his kind of footprint on the Ohio State Buckeyes. And he was on their sideline. He's still giving advice to Ryan Day. He had kind of like an angel investor on his side with Urban Meyer. Dabo Sweeney is going off of his own uh, experience in this playoffs. Uh, you know, it got a little rough and shaky for both coordinators in Venables and Elliott, but I think both guys persevered when they needed to be. Uh, you know, it looked like the play calling was kind of ugly for Clemson early on. You use Trevor Lawrence a lot. A lot of people were kind of like, why are we using Trevor Lawrence? Because it was the main thing that we could do. You know, they were outnumbering Clemson when it came to the rush. They were bringing Werner. They were bringing Borland. Uh, they were bringing Harrison. All these guys, as well as the D-line, and, you know, making sure that Chase Young was able to get around. But he was relatively quiet in this game. He did make a lot of things happen. But to, to me, he reminds me a lot of Quinnen Williams against uh, Clemson last season for Alabama. You know, he still made his presence, but he didn't really dictate the game. I think this game was really won for Ohio State for their offense and J.K. Dobbins and Justin Fields playing lights out and their secondary and their D-line uh, as a whole playing some of the best football we've ever seen. Their linebackers were also very aggressive. That was something that I was not expecting. They were playing fast, very aggressive against Clemson. Uh, so, you know, again, total effort. But for Clemson, let's go ahead and talk about how Clemson managed this game. First of all, again, the quarterback run really opened up a lot of things because they were bringing extra pressure. They were bringing extra guys being very aggressive. Clemson was able to capitalize on a lot of that, which built up into that pop pass at the end of the game. A lot of people were like, why is Trevor Lawrence running? Well, that was something opening up. We have not seen this play all season. So again, hats off to Tony Elliott. Uh, but, you know, it was rough early on. You know, they were they came into this game plan saying, hey, if we can stop Travis Etienne from running the ball, we have a good chance because we know that our secondary are some of the better 
you know, the best secondary in the country next to, you know, Clemson's and everybody else. But, I mean, we really see, you know, and they're probably better than Clemson's. They have multiple guys that will be a first-round pick in that secondary. Uh, but Clemson was able to mitigate some of that. It took a little while for that offensive game plan to go. Uh, but again, the heart of a champion, the will that I've seen from no other team out there, they really put it together and won this thing. Um, Clemson did, you know, leave a couple of points on the board as well. You know, there was a pick six there that was easily caught for a pick six. Uh, we had a couple of picks that were dropped in this game. Uh, if Isaiah Simmons gets to that pick a little bit sooner, he actually could have probably ran that. So there's two pick sixes in that one. Uh, you know, and then offensively, you know, you have so, most of your best players are getting dinged up. You know, it looked like T. Higgins was going to be out for the entire game. I could tell on the sidelines, though, in the second quarter that he was kind of angry. He was wanting to come back into the game. It was not one of those things where he just looked dejected and out and, you know, this he's never going to play more in this game. I, I really feel that T. Higgins was just kind of angry and they were waiting, making sure going through the protocol as they should, making sure he was OK. But then, you know, Justin Ross continuously hurt in this game, but he kept coming back in, making his presence known. Just the fact that those guys were out there put a little bit of pressure on Ohio State. And they, they, you couldn't really just pin your ears back because you had to account for those guys. Even if they're hurt, you still have to account for them. There's a lot of jawing going back and forth. You see guys like Arnett and Okuda really making their presence known up against T. Higgins and Justin Ross. It's kind of funny seeing what they were doing, but... Uh, you know, having those guys come back in, even though they had injuries, was perfect. Uh, Travis Etienne, uh, you know, doing his thing in this game. It wasn't looked at as a runner because, like I said, they came in to stop him. But he was able to catch the ball uh, and be that receiver that we've been looking for him to be uh, for the last three years at Clemson. You know, and honestly, <laughs> uh, he right now in this game, he proved that he is an NFL running back because you have to have all the tools of the trade to play in the NFL. You can't just be a running back. You have to be able to catch the ball, too. Uh, and he's showing that he can be an every down back. So he really upped his stock in that. Same with J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins is, again, I told you, folks, the best running back we will see all season. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be really good for LSU. Make no mistake about that. But he is not going to be as dominant as J.K. Dobbins was. Uh, Trevor Lawrence taking a huge hit. By Sean Wade, and it looked pretty bad. I mean, when he started going to his shoulder, of course, that was his non-throwing shoulder, so I was confident that they could probably put him in a strap and it would be okay. But when he started grabbing that shoulder and stayed on the ground, I was just not I was not happy about that. Same, you know, anytime you get hits above the neck, it could be concussion protocol type stuff. Always worried about that. Not saying that I didn't think that, you know, Chase Bryce could come in and win the game, but the way that Ohio State was playing that night, I just don't think it would have been a good result. Uh, I know Chase Bryce has won a game for us before, but I don't think he would be able to pull that one out. Uh, no disrespect to Chase Bryce. It took a heroic effort from Trevor Lawrence for us to win this game. Uh, again, you know, I was kind of surprised at the non-factor of Braden Galloway. I thought he would be able to come in and they would use him to their advantage. Still did not throw across the middle of the field. There were a lot of things that were open, especially because the linebackers were playing so aggressive up front and downhill. I thought that they would be able to capitalize where they weren't. Uh, and even then, when they were able to get something across the middle, the, those D linemen are so big and strong that they were able to jump up and tip passes. That happened a couple times in this game. Uh, but still, again, Trevor Lawrence was on his A game. I mean, he really was. Maybe it wasn't the flashy eight touchdown passes of Joe Burrow, but he really willed this team to a win. Uh, so, again, I'm happy about that. I thought the O-line did okay. I thought that at times they got beat up. They were 
you know, passed. It, it was just not, it was not very good. I thought the D-line didn't get a lot of pressure early on in the game. Later in the game, they started to do that because they were unable to really rely on J.K. Dobbins as much. And once you get after Justin Fields, it was, you know, kind of like a good thing. But Justin Fields is so mobile. Even with that brace, he was able to break a couple of contain, uh, and that did not help Clemson out. But again, you know, it's just one of those things where I personally think uh, they, you know, were ready for this game. And Clemson wasn't quite ready. Uh, They were not playing to the best standard that they know as Clemson Tigers. But they found a way to pull it out, and that's all that matters. And Clemson is going to go to their fourth, well, yeah, fourth national championship in five years. They have a chance to win a third in four years, is which is unprecedented. I mean, it's crazy uh, the amount of winning that this program is doing. But it's also not crazy if you look at how Dabo has built this program. It's on family, it's on love, but it's also accountability. It's also will. It's also the heart of a champion. It doesn't just start on the football field. It starts in the recruiting, in classrooms, around the country, in high schools around the country. Dabo's looking for the right people who are academic scholars, who are also guys who want to come in and play football and be a good part of their community and build this program to be the right way. So, you know, honestly, in my opinion, this is one of the reasons why Dabo and this Clemson Tiger program is so successful. You know, they they built it from the inside. You're looking at other teams that are doing it different ways. I'm not saying it's not going to work for what they do doesn't work. Clearly it does. Of course, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Florida State, all these other schools have different ways of doing it. I don't know why I put Florida State in there. Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, you know, they have different ways of doing it. But what Clemson's doing is a lasting thing. This is why we've seen the success from 10 years now. Again, I remember Dabo saying way back in 2010 that, you know, just be patient because this is going to be the best decade in Clemson football. And as we close this decade, as we go into 2020, about to play the national championship on the 13th of January, we're going to be one of the most successful programs out there. People understand and recognize and respect the Paul now. And that's all that matters. They want to talk about how Clemson hadn't played anyone all season. Sure, they haven't. Looking at the ACC, it's pretty terrible. I'm here to say it now. The season's over. The, the ACC was terrible, okay? But at the same time, that didn't hold back from the talent and the powerhouse of what Clemson was, which is why we go out and see Clemson doing what they're doing against the team that people looked at as the best team all season. I'm talking about Ohio State is legitimate, folks. <laughs> they are they are one of the best teams offensively out there. They're one of the best teams defensively. They're one of the best teams in special teams. All that. But none of that changes the fact that Clemson was able to pull out the win. They had their chances. They didn't pull it out. Clemson did. So again, hats off to Ohio State and Ryan Day. Hats off to Justin Fields. He's going to have a fantastic career at Ohio State. Hats off to J.K. Dobbins. Hopefully he's drafted very high in the NFL. People need to be smart about that guy. Same with Travis Etienne. But again, this night goes to the Clemson Tigers. And I fully expect them to have a totally different game plan. Again, defensively was a little rough. You know, but they were able to hold that. That was the most important thing that I saw in this game. They were able to hold, you know, you look at how it looked early on. It was like, man, this is bad. But even though they moved the ball up and down on Clemson, a couple big plays here and there, and they're right down in the red zone. Clemson was able to bow up, firm up defensively and stop them holding the field goals. I talked about how important that was because the game could have been much worse early on. 
But that was why I was so confident at the end of the game. Clemson had them in a situation where, yeah, they were moving the ball in the two-minute drill, and they were doing it fantastically. They were doing it well. But I thought that if they got in the red zone, either there was going to be a turnover or they were going to have to go to a field goal. And a field goal would not win the game for them in this situation. They had to have a touchdown. You know, so again, hats off. I think a lot of this... Uh, you know, is going to build momentum for uh, the national championship against LSU. We're going to talk about LSU in the next segment. Uh, it, LSU, is it's not going to be easy. I think a lot of people just assume, hey, we're going to get past Ohio State and win the national championship. I don't think it's going to be easy. I do see the Clemson Tigers winning that game, believe it or not. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be easy. I think it's going to be just like this game, just in a different way. I think it's going to be more of, you know, our offense going after their defense and their defense kind of struggling, not like Ohio State's, because let's let's be honest, LSU's defense has improved over the last few weeks. No denying that. Um, but at the same time, they're nowhere near as good as Ohio State's. <laughs> and I can break that down for you if you don't believe me. They are not. Ohio State had one of the top defenses in the country. I'm talking about not like, oh, top 10, 15. They were in the one, two category and pretty much everything. So again, and no one put up 600 yards on them in a game. In fact, Clemson was only able to get 417 yards against this Ohio State defense. That's much lower than what we normally do. We're in that 500, 529 range. We, we did not get 500 yards on this team, whereas LSU has given a couple people the opportunity to put a lot of yards on them. So, again, I think it's going to be an interesting game. My opinion might change once I do a little bit more research on LSU. But uh, when we come back in the second segment, we're going to be talking about the LSU-Oklahoma game. And then we're going to do a little bit of a preview of the LSU-Clemson game. You're listening to the 4th and 16 Podcast. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the 4th and 16 Podcast. All right, folks, we're back. Second segment of 4th and 16 podcast is underway. We're going to get into the LSU-Oklahoma massacre. Uh, the Bayou Bengals put a 63-piece up on Oklahoma in this game, and it was never, ever close, uh, much to no one's surprise. But I, I think the surprise was how it happened. I don't think anyone really, really thought uh, LSU was going to put 42 points up in the first half. Now, let's be honest. We all knew that it was going to be a blowout. I know some of us talked about, well, what happens if it's a closer game? Yeah, what happens if they pull it off? I get it. But no one truly thought that they were going to beat LSU, especially with all the suspensions. You had Ramondre Stevens, backup running back. They had no other running back that could really do it. <laughs> I mean, truthfully. Uh, and then you look at Trajan Bandy, who was a you know big-time special teams player. He's a wide receiver, which they could have used, but at the same time, it, it didn't matter. We'll get into that, too. But... Then you lose your team's leading pass rusher and sacker in Ronnie Perkins, defensive end. And then you also lose DeLaren Turner-Yale, your starting strong safety, which you needed in this game. And then you also lose Brendan Radley-Hiles, Buki Hiles. He's one of those guys that was not very good. Then when you take him out, the person behind him is even worse, which is strange because this is one of the guys that we were hard recruiting at Clemson. I think we finally let him go. He went on to Oklahoma and, you know, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but anyway, again, they were without some of their best players. You had Kenneth Murray, their absolute best player, the defensive linebacker, 
who went down for a couple of plays in this game, they scored, and then it's like, okay, well, you know, what can they do? What can Oklahoma do to make this not a 100-point loss? Well, first and foremost, you know, it was strange seeing, you know, Joe Burrow still in in the fourth quarter. I That was weird to me. I understand that Orgeron really wanted to lift this kid up. He really kind of was like the hype man for Joe Burrow. I mean, the fact that he was the one that said, hey, Joe Burrow, I will take you in. Come on down from Ohio State. We'll make you a good quarterback or whatnot. And then, you know, the first season was kind of shoddy. This is why I personally talked a little bit of trash about Joe Burrow. I said he's not very good and this and that, all this stuff, which I'm kind of wrong about. I will say I was definitely wrong about that. But at the same time, I 100% believe that this is a scheme-based thing. You see this a couple of times throughout college football every single year. But, I mean, you look at the difference between how Joe Burrow operates this offense and Miles Brennan. It is light years difference. And I understand everybody's starting quarterback is better than their backup. (laughs) It is what it is. the same at Clemson. But you talk about a guy like Joe Burrow who really, really never had an opportunity anywhere. Uh, Even last season. LSU was not good offensively. They were not. This is the reason why they got blanked 29-0 against Alabama last season. They did not have an offense, not a pulse at offense. But then you bring in these cool, fancy new NFL concepts with Joe Brady, and everything lights up. This happens every single season. Some team does it every single year. That's just the way it works in college football, folks. You look at Alabama. They were one of those slow, trudging, hand-the-ball-off offenses. Of course, they were dominant because all the other offenses were archaic in the SEC. Nobody had a good quarterback at all in the SEC. And then you bring in a guy like Tua. Tua's like really a diamond in the rough. You have Jalen Hurts who is starting for you. And no offense to Jalen Hurts, but the kid's not very accurate. And I think that was pretty much on display last night. But if you look at how it was able to be turned on its head with Tua coming into the national championship and everybody realizing, hey, we can throw the ball now. You have Alabama who turned into this behemoth under Mike Loxley. They brought him in. He brought in a new offensive concept that allowed them to play fast, allowed them to play with reckless abandon and, you know, throw the ball all around the field. This happens every single year. This is what happened when Chip Kelly took over at Oregon. He brought in a new offensive concept that no one had seen. Oregon blew up, and then everybody else figured out how to do it. That's just the way it works. Everybody does that. Clemson was also that team. You know, Syracuse at some point had a really up-tempo, high-flying offense. You know, you look at Wake Forest and what Warren Ruggiero does with that whole little mesh read type thing. That was There is still no one in college football who runs it that way. You look, you look at Georgia Tech under Chan Gailey. They were just a pro-style offense. But then you bring in a guy like Paul Johnson from Navy. He's running that triple option stuff that no one ever sees, and no one can stop it for a good few years. I mean, that is valid. <laughs> that is one of the reasons why Georgia Tech has been to the ACC championship so much. I remember them playing Clemson in 2009 in the ACC championship. Actually, even the first win that they beat us in. And it was just kind of like, man, what is this offense? No one likes it. No one else runs this. I ran it in high school, but I was also in high school in the early 2000s. So it's like no one runs this kind of stuff. This is old Bear Bryant. Paul Johnson has just reinvented it, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, it's kind of hard to stop. 
This is the same thing with the Hal Mummy Air Raid. When he brought it in, nobody was doing that kind of stuff. I remember, uh, you know, Houston, and they had like 97 points in a game. I can't remember. All those guys, Hawaii's done it. You know, you have all their quarterbacks throwing for 5,000 yards, Timmy Chang, all those guys like that. It, everybody has that change, and LSU has really capitalized on it. But I'm just wondering who's going to be the next team to do it. Which team is going to be that next team to turn it on its head? And we'll see. But, you know, LSU was able to capitalize on that. And I know I went off on a tangent a little bit. We'll bring it back in. The reason why I said that is because Oklahoma was supposed to be that team. Remember, everyone says that Lincoln Riley is this genius when it comes to offense. And, yes, he is. He's a really good offensive play caller. But he could not mold his offense to Jalen Hurts. He really couldn't. He could not mold it to Jalen Hurts. And, you know, he pretty much was gifted two Heisman caliber quarterbacks in Baker Mayfield and, you know, Kyler Murray. And honestly, I don't know that those guys are just unstoppable like it appeared in college football. I think it was more of the scheme that they had. They were put in again. Scheme changes everything. I talked about how Cole Stout, you know, turned to Peyton Manning in the uh, Russell Athletic Bowl against Oklahoma in 2014 after he was put in a scheme that actually fits him and play calling that actually fits him. In my opinion, (laughs) Cole Stout is the first version of Joe Burrow, a guy that no one really gave attention to. He had some offers to small schools. He's from Ohio. At Clemson, he was back up. He could have left to go somewhere else, although Joe Burrow did. He gets with the quarterback coach, and offensive coordinator that game plans it around him. He looks fantastic. Who knows what Cole Stout could have done for Clemson had he had that kind of play calling all season? Because there was really no dominant team in the ACC that season. We should have beat Florida State, went on to the conference championship. Georgia Tech wasn't that good. We should have beaten them that game until, you know, Deshaun Watson gets hurt and Cole Stout was checked out. But again, scheme matters. So, Oklahoma had no idea how to use Jalen Hurts. In my opinion, they were running Wildcat all season. I know that they had one of the most explosive offenses in in the season. Before the game, there was just one yard separating LSU and and, uh, Oklahoma offensively. Just one yard. They were basically the same. Oklahoma led the country in yards per play. It was like 8.2 yards per play. But again, let's bring this back to retrospect. Okay, Let's bring this back to reality. Who in the Big 12 outside of Baylor, was really going to stop Oklahoma. No one, not a single team in the Big 12 was going to be able to stop Oklahoma. Texas was supposed to be that team. They have zero defense, okay? You look at Oklahoma, they got 40, 50 put up on against them a couple times this season. You know, they got down in the hole 24 points twice to both Kansas State, the game that they did lose, and Baylor, to get ready to bring it back, but I'm telling you, LSU was in a different league than Baylor. I really love Baylor, but they would have been the same way against uh, LSU, truthfully. But that was the reason why everybody was jockeying for that number one spot, because they knew that they could probably do the same thing. Maybe not to the same extent as LSU, because again, LSU was an offensive juggernaut. But they would have done the same type thing to Oklahoma in that game. I don't know very many other teams in that top four conversation, in that five and the rest of the guys type thing that could have done much better against LSU that night. 
Maybe Oregon. Oregon was playing a lot better. They do have an offense with a quarterback that can throw a forward pass. They do have a couple of good running backs. They have one of the better offensive lines in the country, if not one of the best. I know that they uh, LSU won the Joe Moore Award, which is, goes to the best offensive line in the country, but Oregon is right there with them. I mean, they had the most experience. Same with Auburn, yada, yada, yada. But again, I don't know that any of those other teams in that bracket, Utah would have gotten blown out too. They're the same thing as Oklahoma, just a little bit more consistent when it comes to the run game. Oklahoma tried to be a passing team. They tried to be a Big 12 air raid team against <laughs> one of the worst, I would say the worst defense, the second worst defense in the playoffs, which is LSU. So I get it. I understand why you try to throw the football, but you're not very good at it. Oklahoma has not been relying on throwing the ball all season, which has been a detriment to a guy like C.D. Lamb. It's been awful for C.D. Lamb. But again, you have Oklahoma out here trying to do stuff that they're not comfortable with against a team that can put up 100 on you, and we see the results. So again, I really don't give a lot of credit to how it ended up. Of course, we know how good LSU is. But in my opinion, there's a couple of things that I looked at when it comes to LSU that makes me wonder. Makes me wonder a little bit. How is this any different than Alabama last season? How is it? We saw the same thing against Alabama and Oklahoma last season. They went out to a huge lead, embarrassed them, and then kind of put a brakes on them. Except the difference is, again, Ed Orjohn is like the hype man for Joe Burrow, kept them in, and they kept scoring. Alabama literally put the brakes on. They did apply the brakes. They were like, hey, let's get out of here. We got a game in a week or two. You know, let's just go chill. We don't really care about the rest of it. Oklahoma was able to come back. Oklahoma was able to put up 28 points against, uh, you know, Ohio LSU, but it didn't matter. It was all garbage time. Had they put up 28 points in the second quarter, then maybe this thing would have been a little bit closer. Even with all those starters out, I talked about Turner Yale was out. Perkins was out. Bandy was out. Stevenson's a backup, but he's a very key backup. He was out of the game. You know, you had Radley Hiles out, but he wasn't doing any better than Washington was doing. Honestly, they would have scored maybe uh, eh, 14 more points. You're still getting blown out. Okay? But the thing about this, this is what made me question so much of Lincoln Riley. If you're Lincoln Riley and you're trying to throw the ball and you have a guy who has been, you know, nominated as the best passer of the team, bar none. It has been said that. It has been said over and over that Spencer Rattler is the better quarterback when it comes to throwing the ball. If you're going to do that, why wouldn't you put the throwing quarterback in? That makes zero sense to me. None. It's like they wanted to lose the game. <laughs> Put in Spencer Rattler. When he came in, he immediately made a pass, and it looked very good. They could have probably moved the ball down the field a little bit more easily against uh, LSU with Spencer Rattler. And I understand Spencer Rattler is a true freshman. You don't want to really throw him in that environment. But Alabama did it with uh, Tua Tonga-Vailoa against Georgia defense. is arguably better than the LSU defense this season. So it made no sense to me. Then another thing you think about LSU, you're keeping all your starters in, you're scoring a lot of points. To me, that just says we want to blow this team out and make everyone say, hey, this team is the best team in the country. Newsflash, Clemson could have done that too to Oklahoma. Ohio State would have definitely done that to Oklahoma too. So I, I think it's an intimidation factor. I tweeted this uh, last night. 
I think it's an intimidation factor. I think why the reason why they put so many points on them in on purpose and why they did that did that is because they want to show everyone their dominance. Because everybody now, you look at the game after Clemson defeated the team that everyone said was the best team in the country, Clemson immediately came out to be a three and a half underdog to LSU. Now I understand it's in New Orleans, which is about I don't know, 80 miles away from Baton Rouge. That's a home game for LSU. They're riding momentum. They're super happy. This is a fairy tale game. I understand why they did that. But they actually said before the game was even over between Clemson and Ohio State that both teams would be about a touchdown underdog to LSU. That is the reason why. Because everyone's looking at this going, hey, you saw what Justin Fields did. What is Joe Burrow going to do? He just threw, He just threw seven touchdown passes in a game. <laughs> I mean, everyone's going to go, what in the world is happening? How can this team be stopped offensively? If it can be. It can be. Just think if LSU would have probably had to play, I don't know, Alabama again. If Alabama did the Alabama thing, was put into the playoffs, and they had to play them first round. Do you think the same outcome would have happened? I can tell you with a resounding no, it would not have happened that way. So, I, I, I recognize how good LSU is. And I understand some of the schemes and zone concepts that they're doing is really hurting a lot of people. I mean, this is NFL football. If you really look at it, if you look at some of the... I'm going to break it down into the game plan uh, for the LSU Bengals next week. But uh, they are really using NFL concepts. When they say that Joe Brady got Saints passing game uh, you know, concepts, that's legit. He did. If you watch the Saints right now, the way Drew Brees plays, with the way they're using Kamara, the way they're using their tight ends, the way they're using their Michael Thomas receivers, it looks exactly like the Saints, which is hilarious because they're both from Louisiana. Makes sense, right? My question is, why wasn't LSU doing this last year? Well, they did at the end of the season. They had this blowout game. It wasn't a blowout. Let me take that back. It was just a shootout with UCF. And everyone's like, wow, we didn't know LSU could pass like this. Well, that's because they had one thing in common. Neither had good defense at the end of the season. Everybody was hurt for LSU. So everybody's going, why is UCF putting a lot of points on them? Everybody was hurt. But that offense is what made it surprising. Everybody's like, how is LSU putting up this many points? How are they doing this? Because remember, this is when we thought UCF was still a top four team. (laughs) But you know, they were doing that. And then you look at Joe Burrow in the Texas game. After the Texas game this season, they asked him, you know, wow, this is crazy. You guys put up a ton of points. You know, is this something, you know, just a flash in a pan or we'll be seeing this for the rest of the season? He was like, well, he's like, they were like, when did this start? And he was like, well, if you look at the scoreboard for the last two games, that'll tell you your answer. And go throughout the season, they've been putting up a lot of points. If not a lot of points, a lot of yards. They didn't put up a ton of points against Auburn. They didn't put up a ton of points against Florida. But... They did put up a ton of yards, and Joe Burrow had a great game in every single game. This is why why he's broken pretty much every record you could have in college football from a passing standpoint. They have done that. I think they they just I just saw a thing where they said they had a five thousand yard passer, one thousand yard rusher, and two one thousand yard receivers. They have really been putting it on teams. But to me, this sounds no different than Alabama last season. Alabama last season had the most prolific offense ever, remember? They had a shoddy defense that everybody saw through it. Even though they're, I'm not saying their defense was terrible, because it wasn't. 
I'm not saying the LSU's defense is terrible. It isn't. I mean, they have some great players. Queen is great. Christian Fulton's great. Derek Stingley is impressive for a freshman. They have the best safety in the country in Grant Delpit. Kaylevon Chazon looks like Cleveland Furl. <laughs> but they're not that good. They're not that good. And that's kind of like Alabama. We saw this again, Alabama game last year against Arkansas. I saw it. I was like, what in the world? Why is Arkansas putting up that many yards on them? Not a lot of points, but a lot of yards. Same with Ole Miss and LSU this season. Everybody keeps going, well, they were they were super excited. They were up and down. Their emotions were not in check because they just had that big game in Alabama. Sure, I hear you. But there's no reason why a team that's not even playing in a bowl game put up that many yards in a game with you. And I understand John, John Reese Plumley, their quarterback, is extremely fast. Kit literally runs a 4-2-40. But it does not matter. <laughs> You're not supposed they were doing the same plays over, over and over and over and over. The Ole Miss offensive coordinator is Rich Rodriguez. <laughs> He's not that good of a play caller. I, we should know. We've had him at Clemson. So, again, it, ma- it makes zero sense. But, again, I say all this to say, again, NFL concepts is going to be tough. Brent Venables had his, you know, number called. We see that tempo does affect Clemson. And LSU is able to do that rel- relatively easy. Probably better than Ohio State. They're also really good at getting you in situations where you have to change your concepts. And when you do that, they flip to game time mode. I was saying in, in a tweet, what LSU, and this is so John Gruden-esque, this is so Sean Payton-esque, it makes me sick. But what they do is they get you in this game where you're playing zone defense. You come in with a zone defense idea because you're going to rush three and drop eight. That's what everybody tries to do. Right, you see these guys got two a thousand yard receivers. You have a really good receiver in Terrace Marshall. They got a great tight end in Thad Moss, and you have a really good running back that can also be a threat out of the backfield in Edwards Hilaire. You go in zone, and then they just pick you apart in your soft zones. You, you know, you have a linebacker try to sit in Tampa too. We saw Oklahoma do this a couple of times. It didn't matter. They would bring somebody on a shallow cross completion. Can't stop them. Then, once you go, okay, well, dropping eight ain't good. We got to get pressure on Joe Burrow. We have to get after him. You go into man you go into man coverage, press man coverage, up against two very big receivers. People don't understand that Jefferson and Chase are about 6'4 and 6'5 apiece. Marshall is 6'4 as well. Thaddeus Moss is 6'5. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So they've got big receivers too. And they've got other guys that can catch the ball, but those are the guys that are tight. So you go man Press man coverage on those guys. And you're like, well, we're just going to drop, you know, we're going to bring one safety in, put him in the box, maybe have him cover the tight end, chip him at least, and maybe have somebody be on responsibilities for the running back. Maybe spy Joe Burrow. You know what happens then? They go into scramble mode. They go into scramble mode, and that's when teams get eaten alive by them because they're always wide open. These guys know exactly when that happens. If you have a cornerback who walks up to the line of scrimmage and he's head up, his feet there, you already know what he's going to do. You know, he can't bail quick enough because if his feet are already planted, the balls of the feet are already planted towards you and his hands are down, he's looking at you, there's no way he's going to bail before the snap. You don't know the snap count. You're not looking at the center. You're not looking at the quarterback. A lot of people are silent counting anyway. That's what LSU does. They start running, breaking off their routes because they know Joe Burrow is just sitting back there looking, having fun. He's either going to take off, which he is much more athletic than people give him credit for, or he's going to find that wide open receiver. 
Rarely does he throw it out of bounds because he's about to get hit. Otherwise, he just runs for about 10, 15 yards, or he finds the sticks pretty well. So again, lethal offense, but it can be stopped. I truly believe that with these two weeks, and probably the last few weeks, because everyone expected, including Brent Vittables, I'm sure of it, expected LSU to get there, he's probably watched film. Now, if he had nightmares watching film against Ohio State, he's really going to have nightmares watching LSU operate. But I'm telling you, it can be stopped. Even if we don't stop them from moving up and down the field, which I wholeheartedly believe is going to happen, we're not going to stop them from moving up and down the field. We didn't stop Ohio State from doing it. But as long as we can get LSU in situations where they're either kicking field goals or going for it and missing it, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. The name of the game is going to be able to, it's not going to be hold the ball away from LSU, which everyone tries to do, which is what Oklahoma should have done. They should have played keep away. You saw that they were scoring on you literally effortlessly. You probably should have played keep away. I think Clemson is going to come into this game plan running the ball more with Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. Now, if LSU starts doing that whole thing, I wholeheartedly believe that we're going to have to attack their linebackers. We have to. We have to. I mean, we did play the best D-line in the country, but LSU's, in my opinion, they have big boys. They're earth movers. They're, imagine four, well, three guys that look like Dexter Lawrence and then Caleb Von Chason. That's what they look like. They're all like 340, 350, every single one of them. So it's going to be hard to run against those guys, but you have to. You have to stick with it. And I think if Clemson can do that, as well as getting these receivers healthy, keeping them safe, getting those high percentage throws, get Trevor in the rhythm, we can win this game. I know it's going to be tough. We're going to be playing in their backyard. But until the Bengals prove that they can go up against a defense and offense like Clemson, because you look at Auburn, if Auburn had an offense, they could have probably pulled that game out. They didn't have one. Bo Nix is still young. He's, you know, he's green. He's not really meant to beat a team like that. But Trevor Lawrence has been there and done that. If Clemson loses this game, it's okay. We've made the national championship more than any other team that's been in, around this since the inception, including Alabama, which is incredible. But if we win this, again, I think we've already solidified that this program is one of the most dominant programs in college football, but it turns into the most dominant football program in college sports. And I'm super excited about it. And folks, we're at the end of the show. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening and supporting 4th and 16, uh, as you all do. Uh, Thank you so much. This has been a long journey. I remember starting this at the beginning of the year. And here we are now at the end of the year going into the national championship again. So uh, I really appreciate you guys. I do have a game plan coming up for LSU. It'll be coming out next week. Uh, Super excited about that. You can find that wherever you find your podcast. Folks, also, if you want to send me a voice message, you can. I can answer your questions uh, in the podcast. It'll be awesome. I'll be able to connect with you guys. And soon, in the new year, hopefully, we'll start going to live callers. So we can do that, get you guys involved in the show more, and that would be awesome. As always, it's great to be a Clemson Tiger. I'll catch you guys next week for the game plan against LSU. Have a good night. And go Tigers!